Hi everybody and welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Ian Buckley and I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. Whether it's your first time here with us or you join us regularly, we're really glad that you're here today with us. Today we're going to wrap up our series on 1 Peter. And I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever seen a child or even a grown adult who bore the unmistakable mark or image or even mannerisms of their parent? A few years ago, one of Kimberly's relations visiting from Canada was sitting on her couch and it was uncanny. Uh, her looks, her mannerisms, the way she, the gait of her voice or the cadence of her voice, the way she held herself. It was almost like it was a spirit of Muriel. Kimberly's mum was inside of her. It was really, really strange. But just as we see the reflection of parents in the lives of children or relatives, so the reflection of writers can be seen in what they write down. And today, in 1 Peter, we see the Apostle's zeal in his letter. We see his courage in spite of the persecution that was going on. We also see, though, his humility and a sense of tenderness from this rugged fisherman and often his forthrightness. Now, the words of Peter's letter fit together just like a jigsaw puzzle, and they reveal a picture of Peter the fisherman on whose rock-like faith and leadership the church at Jerusalem was founded. But apart from Peter's reflection, there are other things that we need to look back and step back and review today. I want to particularly talk about five observations, uh, three messages, and some lasting lessons. So let's start off with five general observations. The first one seems self-evident. Peter wrote the letter. Peter wrote the letter. Along with James and John, Peter was one of the inner circle of confidants whom Jesus revealed himself to most fully over the over those three years of training. Peter was one of the 12 disciples and Peter rose to be and was regarded as the spokesman of the group. Now Peter, as you know, was never one to kind of sit on the fence and equivocate about issues. He wasn't a man of indecision, but he certainly was impulsive, he was impetuous, and he was outspoken. And this is the sort of a guy that had experienced the heights of the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and yet he also experienced the depths of his denial and the despair that would have come from that. And yet, here's a point, in spite of his flaws and his failures, Peter was called an apostle and chosen to write several books, not only First Peter, Second Peter, but also Mark. Now, this to me is a huge encouragement for all of us who fear because of our own personal flaws are too numerous or our failures too enormous to be given a second chance. Peter got that chance and so can we. Second general point here is that hurting people, people that were under pressure, received the letter. Hurting people received the letter. So this letter was written to encourage Christians who were facing significant persecution. 
In fact, in 1 Peter 1, let me remind you, verse 1b, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontius, through Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These people were scattered outside their homeland, and they were lonely, they were frightened, and they were very unsure about what their future held. But even though they were aliens and strangers in this world, they were not abandoned. That's what Peter writes to them and tells them. You're not abandoned, you're not alone. And even though they were frightened and nervous, they were not forgotten. You see, we are chosen as well, but we're also called to live as resident aliens, knowing that we belong to a triune God rather than this passing world. Let's read the rest of that verse. 1 Peter 1, 1b through 2. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Now, whenever you find yourself in a strange place, be that physically, geographically, or emotionally, or when you feel like an alien and you don't really belong here, 1 Peter is a great book to read because it assures us clearly of our calling and that grace and peace that can be ours to claim in the fullest measure. It also, 1 Peter, gives us hope and it gives us assurance in Jesus Christ on whose sacrifice covers all our sin. Third general observation is that this letter came through Silas. It came through Silas. So Peter, what happened here is Peter dictated his words to Silas, who was his secretary, who's one of the leaders in the early church. And although he's sometimes referred to as Silvanus, as in here, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, this is a brief letter, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. So here we have Peter, the rugged fisherman, with very little or minimal schooling. And on the other hand, we have Silas or Silvanus, who was a very cultured Roman citizen. He was well-educated and extremely well-traveled. Now, interestingly, as I prepared for this message, I noticed that we always seem to talk about Paul, the missionary, and his traveling companion Barnabas. Or we'll talk about Luke in Acts 16 and what he was doing. And we regularly chatter about Timothy. But how little do we know about Silas? Now, if I was to ask you to write down on the back of an envelope what you knew about Silas, do you think you'd have any room left on it? See, Paul was the one that traveled. He got a lot of attention, but it was actually, for example, Paul and Silas, who were the ones who sang at midnight with a Philippian jailer and organized a baptism 
middle of the night for the jailer and his family. That was Paul and Silas, or the guy who penned this, who was his secretary. So if you want to bolster your respect for Silas, Acts 15.22 onwards is a great place to start. Now apparently here, if we look at this, this letter, beginning with verse 12, it looks like Peter actually takes this, you know, his, his rough hands from holding the nets, he takes a pen in his own hand and he writes the final lines of this letter himself. I say that because of the way it reads. The words get very simple. And the Holy Spirit, here's how it works. The Holy Spirit ignited it. Peter's the one that received the message from God. And Silas was the one that wrote Peter's words. So Peter here is reaffirming the overall exhortation. Because we hold the true faith in a trustworthy God, we are to stand firm in the, God, the grace of God. That's First uh, Peter 5.12. And he's also saying that in the midst of all this oppression that's going on all around us and confusion and uncertainty and often mistreatment and the trials and the temptations that were going on, he says, we Christians can endure with hope because, not in ourselves, because our trust is not in the government, it's not in, in, in councils, it's in the sustaining power of God. So in short, he's saying this, through Christ... And Christ alone, we have unwavering hope. The fourth general observation is this. The letter concludes with a greeting from a woman. 1 Peter 5.13 It says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. So that verse begs a question, right? Who's the woman? Who's the woman that Peter's referring to? Well, some commentators say that Peter was figuratively speaking of the church in Rome, keeping it a bit quiet as the, you know, the, as the bride of Christ. Others have suggested perhaps it was his own wife. And we know that Peter had a wife because Jesus, what did he do? He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now, some people have joked, of course, that that was the closest Jesus ever came to making a mistake. Just a joke. Relax, mother-in-laws. Actually, Peter's wife was a hero in the faith. We know that because Clement of Alexandria states, as one of the church fathers, that, she, that Peter's wife died a martyr, even in Peter's own sight. Now, unfortunately, we don't have enough information to make a definitive identification. But one thing is clear, and that is that early believers had a great sense of kinship and fellowship together, and also for the church's throughout the world. Now, this kind of concern for other Christian churches besides their own is a very important lesson for us to remember today. This week, I took some time to write to Winston Peters, asking him if we'd made any representation to the Ethiopian government for the slaughter, house-to-house -house slaughter, of 500 Christians. That's right. These Islamic terrorists went and grab these people out of their homes. And I said to him, have we made representation number one? If we have, what's the response? And if we haven't, why not? That's something that we need to keep in our hearts, just like Peter kept in his hearts, concern for the churches who are persecuted. And that's something we're going to do in the next few weeks. We're going to focus an offering particularly to those churches 
who were undergoing tremendous persecution. The other question here was, who's Mark? Most likely, it's John Mark, who's responsible for the gospel that bears his name, Mark. The gospel of Mark has always been regarded as Mark's record of Peter's first-hand account. Again, so Peter, being the one that was unschooled, would dictate literally what to say, and John Mark, being the cultured, educated one, would write it down. A perfect partnership. So Peter may have led Mark to Christ. That's the thought of many people, because he calls Mark, my son. Fifth, the last final command is one of affection. I want to note that. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now this kiss was male to male, female to female. It was a sign of peace among early Christians that demonstrated their love, their unity, and it reflected an inward peace between believers. It was a sign that all injuries were forgiven and they were forgotten. So there's five general observations. Now for three main messages, the major messages. Peter's letter falls neatly into three sections, each one detailing a how to apply the important truth. Number one, first of all, he talks about a living hope and how to claim it. A living hope and how to claim it. We find the message of the living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now if you read carefully, you'll find this idea occupying Peter's mind all the way through 2.10. How do we claim that living hope? Well, firstly, by focusing on the living Lord. Focusing on the living Lord. And secondly, by trusting in his word. That's how we claim it. Focusing on the Lord, trusting in his word. Second, a pilgrim's life and how to live it. That's the second major message. As Christians, we live in a world that is not our home. We live as pilgrims on a journey passing through to another land. So how do we live this pilgrim's life? Well, Peter says by submission in basically four realms, in the realm of government, in the realm of occupation, in the realm of home, and in the realm of church. Now because, why why does he say that? Because ultimately we are not submitting to human authority, but ultimately to the divine order which God has given. Number three, a fiery trial and how to endure it. A fiery trial and how to endure it. Peter's saying here, no matter how fiery the trial is, it's important to, number one, remember that the temperature is regulated ultimately by God's sovereignty. And you'll see that underlined in chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Secondly, it's important to understand that we don't suffer our trials in just isolation, but we're a part of a flock that's lovingly tended by a global group of faithful shepherds. You'll see that in chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. And thirdly, it's important to know that no matter how formidable the adversary, the power of God 
is available to help us endure. And you'll find that in chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. So how do we endure the fiery trials that engulf us? Well, Peter says by cooperation. We need to cooperate with God by trusting him. In chapter 4, verse 19, by cooperating with the leadership of God's church, by working alongside them. And thirdly, by standing firm and resisting the onslaught of the devil. You'll see that in chapter 5 and verse 9. Now, through these five general observations and three major messages, Peter's letter has made an indelible impression on our lives. But beyond these are some additional lessons that stand out in bold letters. Number one, when our faith is weak, joy strengthens it. When our faith is weak, joy strengthens it. So our living hope results, Jesus, results in present joy. And here are two passages that underscore this lesson. 1 Peter 1, 6-8 In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Plenty of people can say yes to that. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's later. And although you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This kind of faith or living hope can enable us as believers to rejoice even when we're called on to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And also in 1 Peter 4, 12-13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Friends, God tested the people in Israel. He's going to test you. Same God, same principles. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share, what? Share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So when we share the sufferings of Jesus, it shows our identification with him, and it shows that our faith is genuine. We don't run from it. We bear up. Since Jesus was persecuted, we also will be persecuted, and thereby participate in his sufferings. If we persevere, we will enjoy our future inheritance with him. See, humble servants who know the suffering of Jesus will be overjoyed when we see his glory is being revealed. Now, this type of rejoicing remains unhindered and unchanged despite what happens in this present life. Can you remember the example of Jesus who became poor so that we may become rich? He gave up splendor and glory all those things in heaven for the squalor of earth. The one who had everything became poor. 
making himself of no reputation. To assume what? Our debt of sin and pay for it with his own life. Why did he do that? For the joy that was set before him. And I think Peter saw that clearly now. So as Christians, we're called to respond in faith to that. And this is how this works. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces conduct that corresponds to the content. In other words, our walk matches our talk and our deeds match our creeds. So faith makes theological security experiential and joyful. So joy will dispel away the clouds that hang over our faith prevailing over the disheartening trials that come into our lives. Second, when our good is mistreated, endurance stabilizes us. When our good is mistreated, endurance stabilizes us. Remember 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under the sorrow when suffering unjustly. You know what that feels like? For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, that you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So the word endure here means to bear up under the load, kind of like a donkey who's got this massive load in its back that the owner's placed on it. It's the patient bearing of life's loads. And that's made possible by love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See those three words? Bear, hopes, and endures. Love makes it possible to bear these loads. The patient bearing of life's loads is made steadfast by hope. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 Remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, it's made possible and easier by an example. 2 Timothy 3.10-11 through 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, here it is, and my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I, here it is again, endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Number three. When our, and third, when our confidence is shaken, love supports us. When our confidence is shaken, love supports us. See, love is the pillow of support when our world comes crashing down and crumbling down on us. That's why Peter put love at the top of the survival checklist in the end times. In 1 Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, keep fervent. In your love for one another. Don't let it go lukewarm or go cold. Actually, it says in the end times, another verse says, 
In the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Here he says, above all, keep fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. This kind of strenuously maintained love, in other words, love at full strength, not watered down, is not blind though, but it sees, it's not ignorant, it's not naive, it sees and accepts the faults of others. How can you do that? The only way I know to do that is Romans 14, 14. It says, let us concentrate on the things that make for harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. See, it's easy to do the opposite. Concentrate on the things that separate us, our differences. No, no. He says, concentrate, let us concentrate on the things that make for harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. Fourth, when our adversary attacks, he tells us, resistance shields us. When our adversary attacks, resistance shields us. So he's saying here, when the enemy stalks us like the roaring lion, we are instructed not to freeze, not to run, not to hide, but we're told to, one, submit to God and resist the opposition. First Peter 5, 8, 9, he says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, not snoozing. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But, his instruction, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, as we reach the end of our study on First Peter's letter, I can't speak for you, but Peter's life and ministry give me hope. When I consider how that rough fisherman went from failure at the top of his lungs to faithfulness through the transformation of God's grace in his life, I can't help but think that God can do the same for me and for you. Three final thoughts that we can learn from Peter's example. Very importantly, failure in the past does not nullify God's purpose for your future. Failure in the past does not nullify God's purpose for your future. Sometimes you'll try to convince yourself that God follows a one strike and you outrule. If you blow it, he'll move on to someone else more reliable, more faithful, more consistent. Now, if you're ever tempted to think that God has written you off, think about Peter. After three strikes, he counted himself out. But Jesus deliberately went after him and restored him and lifted him to a place of leadership among his fellow disciples. Now, I don't think that Peter could have ever led in the infant church had he not come to full terms with Christ's absolute forgiveness of his blatant denials. Yet, he was wonderfully received God's forgiveness and in the process, he forgave himself. That's sometimes the hardest thing. God will forgive, but do I forgive myself? Do I love myself enough to forgive myself as Christ has first forgiven me? He saw himself as God saw him, wiped clean, released from the guilt and the shame of his past. So don't think for a moment that failure in your past nullifies God's plans for your future. Next, a broken heart is great preparation for healing fractured lives. A broken heart is great preparation. 
Paul Paul said that God comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So who better than Peter could lead a ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming God's unconditional forgiveness through Jesus Christ? He knew the frailty of humanity, the weak interiors covered by bold veneers. He knew about the tendency to fall no matter how hard a person tries to stand. So as Peter ministered to distressed believers, these guys were teetering at the brink. He can encourage them from a personal experience to pick themselves up and press on in Jesus. And the same is true for you and me. We can suffer hardships. We can survive crises and we recover from failures for a reason. And that reason is God wants us to use these very experiences from our past to minister to others, to share that with others in similar circumstances. See, a broken heart is great preparation for healing fractured lives. God never wastes a hurt. Next, one note of hope brings more encouragement than a thousand thoughts never expressed. One note of hope brings more encouragement than a thousand thoughts never expressed. So here we are, from distant Rome, in the midst of a busy ministry of his own, Peter now feels the need to write to stress believers in regions two oceans away. He could have easily left them in the care of another, but instead he took the time to write what he called a brief letter, that compassionate expression made all the difference in their lives. Now, some of you hearing this now know of folk that are struggling through a really tough time and could use some of your encouragement. You've been there, and you know what to say and what not to say. So why don't you write to them? And I don't mean a quick text or even maybe a very short email, but give them something real to hold on to. Somebody that I know this week was deeply concerned about somebody else, and they spent an hour writing to that person. It wasn't a quick text, and then an hour in a conversation to assure them that they are not alone, that there's somebody out there that cares. Now, take Peter's life as an example and bridge the gap between remote concern and real action, knowing that one note of hope brings more encouragement than a thousand thoughts never expressed. So I urge you to take the next step. Take the time to connect and bring that ray of hope into somebody else's dark and discouraging world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that by your grace, you've caused us to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who was resurrected from the dead. Lord, in the uncertain times which we find ourselves, Father, help us to focus on you and trust you, trust your word. And Lord, remembering that nothing that ever happens to us surprises you. When we go through tough times and circumstances, Lord, that defy explanation, thank you that you are our friend that sticks closer than a brother. That, Lord, you promise to never leave us or forsake us. And that, Lord, you mean more to us than a natural mother or a natural father. Thank you for your grace that sustains us week to week. And though life here isn't always fair, 
And you tell us, Lord, to expect challenges. Help us to find your grace sufficient for all of our needs. Thank you for the encouraging example and the strength that comes through Peter's life. Who understood life and failure and disappointment, but he also understood victory and joy and standing firm. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to apply these principles that we have learned and heard from your word, that we may practice these truths in our lives and thereby love you and grow more like you in the gracious and precious and powerful name of the matchless Son of God, Jesus our Lord. Amen. God bless.